a very warm welcome to this Mastering the Game of Life podcast with your host, Paul Lowe. Paul offers wisdom, insights and tips for living a healthy, meaningful, purposeful life. On the back of overcoming extreme adversity, Paul has a proven track record of achieving life-enhancing results. He offers empowering advice and guidance to help people develop a mindset for success so that they can live with more happiness and prosperity. Through his Mastering the Game of Life podcast and books, Paul also helps people to get their own inspirational messages and powerful stories out into the world, as well as being involved in supporting many charitable organisations in their development, fundraising and projects. Hello listeners and welcome to this Mastering the Game of Life podcast episode. Today I'm joined by a guest from Manchester in England, a gentleman by the name of Daniel Taylor. And Daniel is a senior football writer uh, at The Athletic and I'm sure uh, Daniel will tell us a little bit more about that as we, uh, as we get warmed up and into the conversation. Daniel, very, very warm welcome to you, sir. Nice to be here. Hope you're well, mate. And um, okay, so senior football writer with the Athletic at the Athletic. Tell it, you know. So that's a nice intro, Daniel. Tell us a little bit about that first. Well, we launched in England. Um, it's been going in America for for a few years now. Basically, it's a, a website stroke app that you can obviously download to your phone. And um, they had a huge launch in the UK. Um, when was it? Last August. So it's been going now about eight months. It took took on 50 different football writers, mostly from the um, from the UK broadsheets, basically. You know, so so quite a few from the Guardian. I was I was the chief football writer at the Guardian beforehand, so I came over from the Guardian. As you know, we, the Alex Kajelski, who's the sort of the editor of it, he, he's from the Times. He was the head of sport at the Times, so it's got plenty from the Times, the Independent, the, the Telegraph, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So we're all football journalists, um, and basically it's hopefully just trying to bring a slightly different type of football journalism um, where basically it's reliant on subscriptions um, rather than, you know, the, it's not a newspaper for sales and there's no advertising. It's very clean. I don't know if you're the same as me, but when you, when you click on some newspaper websites, it's like a, it's like a battle just to even get to see the article. Mm. You know, you have to, so many pop up bot- buttons and all sorts of stuff. So, so yeah, so it's, um, so basically for, I think it's, you know, the cliche is, you know, it's for the price of a coffee every month. You can um, you can basically look at your, you know, if you support Nottingham Forest, as I, as I think you do, Paul, and, and I certainly do, um, you know, you can click on Nottingham Forest and there's always, you know, there's, the beauty of the internet is there's no um, sort of length um, criteria. So, you know, if I want to write a long read, if I, the first article I wrote was a 5,000-word epic on Brian Clough. And, you know, in the newspaper, the most you'd probably get is about eight or 900 words. So, mm. so you know, you get great space. Um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm obviously slightly biased now, but I, I do look at it every day and and, uh, and think it's probably the best place to go to now if you're a football fan. The other side of it is if you like American sports, because it started in America, you can just, you can click off football and go in straight into, um, you know, if you've got an interest in, in American football or, or basketball, or but you know, it's got all the so it's not just football, there's American sports as well. I mean, I must admit, primarily my, my interest is, is football, and we've got you know, it's a massive operation we've got now. There's you know, there's no certainly no newspapers got anywhere near the same numbers of people that we've got, and and I would say without being controversial in terms of the quality as well. Um, so, so yeah, so it's gone really well so far. I mean, obviously, it's a bit of a nightmare, the, um, the the shutdown. You know, we obviously want to write about football, and at the moment there is no football, so we're having to be use our imaginations and, um, you know, you know, come up with um, come up with ideas that are still going to bring readers in, and I think we've done that really well. Superb. And that nicely segues, Daniel, into what we spoke a little bit off air about. Uh, when Saturday comes, I'm extremely athletic. So the whole idea, Daniel, behind this, is, uh, as you know, is when Saturday comes, and, and obviously I think it's going to be very easy for our conversation to be football dominated, uh, and that's fair enough because <laughs> obviously the you know a large part of the world's population you know, are football mad. And... Um, 
So when Saturday comes, Daniel, let's let's kick off by then saying, you know, what does Saturday mean to you generally? Let's take you back to your childhood. You know, did you have that Saturday excitement of oh the big game today? Or you know, I know particularly on Cup final day. I mean, wow, it was like it was magical beyond description. What does what does Saturday mean to you? Certainly from the past, Daniel, and, and probably equally now. Well, when I before, I mean, I've been writing about football now for 20 years so Saturday is part of my work really um, but before I mean when you he, when he go back further than that yeah absolutely you know Saturday was the day of the week you, you just you know look forward to all week I mean when you talk about the cup final that we had um, Coventry Spurs was, was shown on TV over here um, the other night and just watching it back just was a reminder of like the I suppose probably the innocence really of being young you know I mean the FA Cup final now it just maybe it's just because I I um, and I'm going to sound very spoiled and I know a lot of my mates hate it when I say this sort of stuff but just because I see so many big games now the FA Cup final just to me now just feels it's quite depressing really you know I went to the last season's one and you know I, I can't profess to have the same excitement or anywhere near the same excitement these days for it mm. whereas the occasion, the sense of occasion around it when you were younger, it was just like the the showpiece event of the year. You know, it was it was, you know, just all the daft things like the cameras following the bus. You <laughs> found, you know, you couldn't believe how exciting. It was. Yeah. Whereas, yeah. whereas, yeah. I mean, I don't want to sound like a hardened old hack, although I do increasingly feel that way. But, but yeah, you know, going to see Man City, Wallop, Watford in an FA Cup final, and when he. Everyone knows when you go down there, well, you know it's going to be a very one-sided game. It, it, the atmosphere is not nothing like it used to be. Yeah, I, f- I find the whole semi-finals being at Wembley really, really has has been a big part in sort of killing the excitement of the final because you know you look forward to the final and then because that was obviously going to Wembley, but it's you know it's not Wembley in those days was like the you know something magical that you could uh, you know whereas now you, it, it's it's a lot easier to see your team there I mean ironically Forest being one of the few teams that actually hasn't played there since it changed um, but yeah I mean in, in more recent years I, um, it's my it's my work really so so Saturday for me can be going anywhere around the country following following the you know a game that obviously you know I, I moved up to Manchester from, from the East Midlands mostly because the North West has obviously got so many big football teams. Um, and it's strange now, you know, if there's if there's no games on Saturday, or if I've got a Saturday off, it's like, I feel like I'm addicted. I'm like, I can't, I can't switch off. I can't not look at the scores. I can't not, you know, I will inevitably end up watching Soccer Saturday when I could be doing something better with my time or, you know, so I'm almost addicted to Saturdays, basically, to answer your question. You know, I can't. I can't not look at the scores on Twitter or find out what's going on because it's mm-hmm. just um, it's just been too much of a way of life basically for all those years. So, ideally, my my preferred Saturday would be I can I can get I'm, I live a mile away from Stockport train station so, and there's a direct train to Nottingham. So, ideally, my best Saturdays are just going on there with my son, who's my brainwashed into being a Forest fan, <laughs> even even though we live in Manchester and all is you know it's quite it's not that was quite some feat basically on my on my part you know and we can be in Nottingham in an hour and a half and then um, you know just basically seeing your old mates the whole routine of it going to watch your team you know the, the Forest are nowhere near the team that they were when I was a kid you know when I was younger I'd go and watch Forest and just expect to win every week mm-hmm. you know if we if we if whoever we played we'd expect to win whereas whereas I never feel like that way now you know mm-hmm. so it's um at the same time, you know, it's still, still, you know, you, you don't give up any football team, do you? And you know, we actually get better crowds now than we than we have done in any time apart from the last forty years or so. So, still plenty to enjoy. It's just a different, different environment, really. Interesting comment there, Daniel. You don't give up on your football team. I, I always have a smile when you know when I hear that kind of comment because, uh, jokingly but truly, I put out there. I was married once, so one wife, three engagements. I don't know how many girlfriends but only ever one football team. And there's been times, Daniel, and as you quite rightly say, Nottingham Forest, boy, did I want to divorce them. Did I never, ever want to see that team, hear their name, whatever, you know, we are done, we're finished, it's over. I think the great analogy is that when it's good, the sex is brilliant. (laughs) You know, it's like, I mean, there's a lot of time when you're not talking to each other and you're, you're, you know, you're, you're basically pissed off with them and they've ruined your weekend yet again. You know, I mean, my, my 
my family if Forest lose on a Saturday they 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 don't need to ask the score because they can just tell from the way I um I kind of retreat within myself basically I you know it's still it annoys me but I can't get out of that kind of um you know just I sort of always go into a shell and I hate myself for doing it because I'm sort of ignoring my son and, and you know and um just generally not being great company but uh, I'm I'm at an age now where I don't think that will ever change, basically. Mm. But um, the other thing, I mean, just to go back to what you said there, you know, I think if people do give up, people, I don't mean the support, but if people stop going, it's quite hard to start going again, if you know what I mean. If someone if someone gets out of that habit of every, you know, you shape your entire week around the match day, mm. and you don't go, and then all of a sudden, you, I don't know, for whatever reason, you might move away or you might not have the money to do it or whatever it's quite hard to then go back to that routine in five or ten years basically so you know once people sort of get out of that habit it's um well they're saying that i suppose being contradictory as i just mentioned from forest average attendances now are, are, are sort of near twenty-eight, twenty-nine thousand. whereas in the in the fawaz years um they, they were dropping down to probably half that number so you know there have been people coming back Mm. It's, you know, yeah, again, that's a very interesting comment because, um, you know, I think that when we look at the forest set up now, the infrastructure, I mean, it's by anybody's stretch of the imagination, Daniel, it's world class. I mean, you look at that board. Wow. And so, you know, the, the, the results obviously on the on the field. I mean, I think it's the best season that Forest have had for for quite some time. Um, dare we say since Billy Davis's time, and we'll come to that uh, shortly. But you know this this whole infrastructure, you can just see, can't you, that the the club are geared for the Premier League. And I, I personally feel it's only a matter of time before that happens, um, because you can just see the way the juggernaut's headed now. And um, so that's an interesting one, and also interesting, Daniel, picking up on your thread there around you know being absent. I mean, sometimes I do, you know, when I do come back to England and my hometown of Nottingham, you know, because of the connections I've got within football and you know personally as well, I, I do get invited to the game, but it's not it's not quite the same. I think I've fallen out of love with football generally. The cheating, I still found myself last season with a couple of incidents in televised games. Uh, Howard Gale, one of them. Um, um, with the West Brom and the Leeds situation, where uh, the guy punched it in the uh, in the net, you know that reaction. You know, I put it out there, Danny. I'm not really interested about football anymore. I see things like that, and I go bananas. And I think that's more the social angle of, hang on, you're setting an example to young children here. You know, they're idolising you. They're looking up to you. You've got a moral responsibility to guide these young kids forward. Never mind you, the silly money you get for kicking a bag of wind around. So football generally, I have absolutely fallen out of love with because of the culture, the greed, everything around it. But I cannot deny Nottingham Forest. I really, and as I've said earlier on, Daniel, I've tried to, but I can't. Yeah, it's addictive, isn't it? I mean, basically you go, you know, I mean, I... You, I love going back to that stadium, you know, and all the silly little things when, you know, walking across Trent Bridge and, you know, just going to a pub that, that you know, I mean, basically you've been going to the same pub for, you know, that same routine and just seeing your old mates or seeing people that, you know, you've sat next to for years, you don't even know the name, basically, but it's, there's like a sort of strange attachment to them. You know, it's just, it's just, it's the whole thing, isn't it? The, the, the football sometimes ruins it. That's, the, you know, the... Um, I mean, when they win, it, it obviously makes the it just makes the weekend and the day itself. Yeah, it gives it such a kind of impetus. But but very often football can ruin it. You know, our home form this season has not been very good. So you can kind of go with um, you know, for me, part of it is the sort of seeing seeing your old mates that in a, in another. You know, I live in Manchester now. You know, in another sense, there's people that I probably might have lost contact with. But football is the kind of glue that keeps you together. Um, seeing people that I've, you know, again, probably I couldn't even tell you where they live in Nottingham, you know, or maybe even their surnames. But 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 I've you know I've known them for like kind of thirty years. And in another sense, it's a strange kind of togetherness that you've got with with people in that same boat. But but yeah, I mean, just to go back to your point about yeah, I'm not. I'm not as enamoured with football as I, as I, you know, I used to absolutely adore football and 
um, maybe from working in, in well, I wouldn't say inside the industry, but obviously, you know, it's my day-to-day job. So sort of on the fringes of the industry, you know, I've got to see, you know, the way the way it works. And um, I think a, a good analogy is, you know, if you work in a chocolate factory, you, you, you'll end up getting a little bit sick of chocolate sometimes, wouldn't you? But yeah. I think Gav Southgate said it quite nicely. He said, you know, you love football, but there's also parts of the industry you, that you actually hate. And um, yeah, it's just finding the right balance sometimes. Yeah, a key word, balance. And that's why it runs very parallel and very nicely, I feel, with mastering the game of life because, you know, in life, the, the you know, there's, I know from my own experience, my own experiential learning, there's a lot of parallels uh, between football, the game of football and the game of life. And just, just one silly example, one small example of, you know, depending on how your, your upbringing's been, and mine was very uh, challenging, so that made me very defensive, very negative, very cynical from an early age. And that reflected in the way I played football. Ironically, living a lie because I knew naturally or felt naturally I was a creative, fun-loving kind of, of kid. And, and it's took me decades, Daniel, to come out the other side and go back to that, actually. But I just mentioned that in this kind of whole parallel philosophy between how we are in football and how we are in life. So between and sometimes we can't separate the two which leads me nicely on what would you say in your life Daniel's been your greatest moment in personally or professionally or are those two aligned um but I mean that's a that's a, a tough question um I mean greatest moment personally would be children arriving and um but I I, I think probably for talking professionally um um well yeah i suppose i hate to say i hate to (laughs) i'm always conscious of the humble brag element here but um i suppose professionally i I, it was um when i was working for the garden we did the the stories about the sex abuse scandal in football with barry bernal and various other offenders and that was something that i sort of led and um you know, so basically, start starting that story, which then became, you know, I mean, I think that the Greg Clark, the chairman of the FA, said it was the biggest, biggest scandal in the history of the sport, and it, you know, it became a global story. You know, it sort of started off over similar stories in different countries, and just just to see the number of um, paedophiles, of sex offenders, and who got away with it for years, or or whose crimes hadn't been properly sort of detected, just to see so many of those going to prison and be, being in the courtroom when Barry Bernal, who was obviously, well, arguably the um, the worst offender by some distance, certainly in terms of numbers. Um, you know, I think there's over 100, 100 different lads who've, who are still waiting for court cases with him. Um, so to be in the courtroom with the, with the um, footballers that I didn't, that I'd sort of interviewed at the start of that process and sort of we'd agree, you know, we'd work together and waving their anonymity to, to help bring others forward. And, you know, they, what they did was a lot harder than what I did, put it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then to sort of see Barry Bernal get 31 years in prison while all these lads were sitting at the back of the courtroom, you know, just seeing the guy who, who sort of ruined their life, um, you know, terrible, uh, you know, raped these lads as young footballers from the age of nine to 15 for years and years. Um, seeing him getting sent to, sent to prison was, you know, was a a moment I suppose for a football journalist that that would be very hard to top. It's very it's hard to describe the sort of emotion in the courtroom at that time and everything. So mm-hmm. it's um, you know, and it's a difficult bit of a grim story. So it's not exactly like um, um, the usual football journalist story of a transfer tale or or mm-hmm. some manager's going to be sacked or something. You know, it was it felt like a proper kind of. Um, a, um, you know, it felt like a proper achievement as such. But again, I don't want to say that too much because I kind of always go back to the point that the players who were the victims and they were the ones who came forward and put their faces in the papers and talked about what happened to them as kids and how it affected them for the rest of their lives. They, they were the they were the one you know who actually were doing the, something brave. I was just helping them with my kind of professional skills to to put their words into in, in a way that would would read well hopefully and and also convince others that they should come forward mm. thanks for that share daniel that's very uh, very impactful we mentioned um billy davis earlier on yeah and one of his famous quotes cliches was unfinished business 
Do you have any unfinished business within your professional life, Daniel? Is there has been any? Uh, I use this term loosely, but scars as a result of you know. And I'm going to generalise now, and I'm going to play a little bit of devil's advocate, um, since I'm depersonalising it away from you. But you know, if journalists might be creative and and put people's noses out, and they don't like it because they've got the power of putting things in print, and I'm not casting any judgment one way or the other on that. Um, but, you know, from your own point of view, Daniel, I can only imagine, because I'm not a journalist, but I can only imagine that at times you're not the world, not you personally, but journalists generally, um, are not the world's most favourite people. Is that a fair comment or am I wider the mark? No, you're spot on. And also that does, that does include me as well. You know, the, I, um, I have to write comment pieces and so my comment piece might be criticising some I don't know could be criticizing a manager or somebody senior at the FA or or footballer for, for some you know if you're criticizing people in front of a large audience you're obviously going to upset people and also the football the way it is people if you criticize a uh, football club it's you might as well be saying to someone that they've got an ugly wife or or their or their children are, are horrible children or something because you essentially you know people many football fans treat their football clubs as almost they because it's their fat their own family as they see it they they're allowed to criticize it because it's in there because they support the club they're part of the club but if, if an outsider does then then you get a host, you can get a very hostile reaction so you know i mentioned the barry bonnell case a minute ago you know crew fans have, um on twitter you know many of those crew fans openly um what's the word you know certainly resent me uh dislike me attack me um because basically i have shown up that the crew in in for a number of years was a bit of a house of horrors basically where where if you were a young player you were at risk of being sexually abused and raped and having your life ruined now to any kind of like any other person outside of being a crew fan perhaps and this isn't all crew fans i should also say you would think that's just ludicrous because you're obviously doing a good thing you know bringing, bringing bad people to book but you know it's being it's been seen by that kind of element of supporter that i'm picking on their club needlessly and that i've you know that i have brought shame on their club and so they have to attack the messenger which is me so so that's just one example but i mean yeah you know i'm, I'm permanently you know if i if i have a go at just on something more light, light really. You know, if I have a go at Man United for spending badly, then basically I'm probably going to be upsetting people at Man United or some Man United fans. And so these days, through Twitter and social media, people have got a direct access to to argue back, which is fine because you know I'm certainly open to debate and all that. But obviously, you know, it, it you, you can. Um, I mean, Su the Suarez ever race case was a great example. I mean, basically, Liverpool now will openly hold up their hands and say they're they're sorry for how they reacted during the Suarez case and that, you know, wearing T-shirts was terrible. You know, I wrote all this at the time, basically wrote that it was, um, it was terrible at the time. And for that, I was getting death threats from Liverpool fans. I was, you know, getting, when I walked down Wembley Way for a cup final, I was, I was getting confronted by Liverpool fans. I was getting messages saying that they're nowhere parked when I went to games. Yeah, I wasn't the only one doing that, but and then like years later, it's quite ironic to see all the you know, as time's gone on, they will you know, they will, they will find to admit that yeah, okay, Suarez did do it, you know, um, hands up, but, we, but they defended him at the time because he was their player, mm. and th so there's a level of um, um, tribal. Um, <laughs> I need to use the word stupidity there, but it's it's certainly a tribal kind of nature the sport is and. Um, you know, I mean, I've I've had I've had grief off Forest fans loads of times because um, for writing stories, but essentially I have I have to write those stories. You know, I remember when um, I remember when Paul Hart was manager. I did. I mean, this was before Twitter. I remember doing a story about Paul Hart was he was the Forest manager and he'd gone for an interview with I think it was West Ham, um, and I did that story. And you know, that's not going to help Forest, but I'm not necessarily there to help forest if you know what i mean because mm. then i'm then i'm what am i then i'm like a, an extension of the club and a spokesperson which i'm you know i'm a journalist first and foremost so you know when it, you mentioned billy davis billy davis was 
very divisive with, with the fans, but he had a lot of fans who supported him. So when Billy Davis attacked the, the press and basically said, you know, and it came out of all that, I mean, I think anyone of reasonable intelligence knows that Billy at that time was just in his own little orbit, really. He, you know, he was like, he was, he was creating fight, um, fights that just didn't exist, basically, with people who didn't want to fight. Mm. Um, but but because he was the manager of Nottingham Forest, he um, there's always going to be supporters who want to take his side and 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 will therefore then attack the press. So I was getting you know a lot of Billy Davis supporters were sort of attacking me because I was see, I was seen as one of the people that Billy, for reasons never quite explained, he 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 thought he had unfinished business with, um, even though. I hadn't actually recovered Forest at that time, so I'm not quite sure where that all goes. But I, you know, I'm going off on a tangent there. But but there's other, you know, Fawaz again. Fawaz was an absolute mess. His time at Forest, um, we got worse season by season. The club was run to the ground. It was a shell of a football club. It was described to me by by someone high up in football as the worst run club in football. We we were from goal difference of being relegated to the what is the third division. It was a mess. The players weren't getting paid on time. The ground wasn't getting looked after properly. The, um, people were getting sacked left, right, and centre f- for no reason. Even when I questioned Fawaz, Fawaz had this sort of very small nucleus of very loyal supporters who wanted to take his side against the nasty journalist. And and mm-hmm. and you know, so you know, you, you, that's just part of life and part of the um, part of the profession, really. But it's um, it's part of completely used to it's just sometimes you have to have, have to bite your lip when you want to because it's it's not hugely professional i suppose just to, to to basically tell people when they're being stupid on twitter but even if that's what you're thinking um so presumably and this will sound a little bit like i told you so presumably all those well there weren't that many of them but all, all the fawa supporters now um who you know came after me and um you know, wanted to attack me for basically questioning the way the club was being run. I, I presume they're much happier now than they were then, with, you know, seeing a team that was nearly getting relegated to the third division as opposed to what we have now, which is a, a forward-thinking football club that's trying to get up a league rather than go down one. Mm. It must have hurt, though, Daniel, because, I mean, obviously our paths have only very recently crossed, but you, at the risk of sounding judgmental, you've come across to me as a very sensitive, caring, loving, devoted family man. You know, you've spoke passionately about your, you know your two young kids and and that so you know irrespective of whether that's you know a person's makeup or not you know none of us generally like criticism and you know so that that must you know as much as you put your kind of uh, you know your mask on and your your suit of armor it must have hurt daniel surely um it it does yeah you, uh, you do get uh, you do get hardened to it and um and I mean, when I was at the Guardian, the Guardian below the line where the comp, where the readers come at the athletic. One of the things I really enjoyed about the Athletic so far is that the Athletic subscribers um, do seem to be do seem to just want to chat, you know, debate and talk about football. Whereas, it, whereas the Guardian, for some reason, I don't quite understand it. The Guardian, we, we as a, all the football writers at the Guardian knew not to look below the line because it was just demoralising. You know, you, mm. you would you'd write what you thought was a nice piece, and there'd just be you know, stream, you know, vitriolic attacks and it wasn't moderated very well. So, you know, it wasn't the, the abusive comments weren't deleted. So yes, it can, it can get very, um, you know, there have been, there's certainly been, when you talk about, you know, it, does it get to you? There's certainly been times where if you look at it late at night, you go to bed thinking about it and, and you kind of like the next morning you might wake up like and you think oh, I had a crap night's sleep last night or I've got a headache or and it's you've gone to bed you know you've gone to bed in a kind of a slightly bad mood or, or just you know a bit agitated and it's not healthy basically um, you look at um, Twitter these days it's such a monster as well like you, there's no point arguing back because basically you'll get deluged with you know if you've got a certain number of followers you'll get and, and what you've said is doesn't agree with some of them it's not like it's a one-on-one conversation and often you're arguing with with cartoon characters you know people don't use their real names and they use mm. sort of cartoon pictures as their picture you know and you just think well, why would i even want to talk to someone i don't even know the name 
um, you know, it's it's someone attacking you for, um, who doesn't know the subject as well as I do without sounding arrogant because, uh, you know, I will have spoken to people before forming an opinion, mm-hmm. but, you know, um, that didn't sound arrogant, but I, you know, I do speak to people in football more, you know, which is why I'm doing the job. Yeah. Um, so it, yeah, you know, it does, it does get to you. Um, I wouldn't say it, I'd say it gets to you on, a, on sporadic occasions. Certainly, um, certainly it would get to me more 10 years ago when it was a bit, when it, when it was all a bit new and social media was all, because I would try to sort of um, reason on Twitter and then, and then you know, if you just suddenly got attacked by, by um, you know, talking about hundreds of people, basically, it's a bit you know, it can be a bit overwhelming. And also, it's in a strange way you can't. It's hard not to look. So you tell yourself, don't look, because you know you can even put your account on mute or whatever. And um, there's something that almost draws you to looking at it in a sort of some sort of weird not very pleasant fascination in seeing in seeing this but it's just um yeah you know it's not it's not a huge deal there's been sporadic times where where it's kind of where it's uh i wouldn't say i wouldn't say it's got me down for days and then but as i say you know you're just basically thinking god i'm spending my day here trying to avoid social media because there's hundreds of football fans basically calling me this that and the other and you know, in on rare occasions, telling me that they're going to try and find me at football games and stuff, and just, just, you know, uh, unpleasantness basically that you just have to accept is is part of the whole modern world, you know, with social media and, um, and get on with it really. That's interesting, isn't it? That in the old days, and I'm not condoning it, and obviously we've got a mutual friend that uh, we're both very interested in on a personal level because he is a friend. But that football violence was, in those days, it was kind of overt, it was out in the open, whereas these days with the keyboard keyboard warriors and what goes off with particularly Twitter and social media generally, I mean, it's, I would argue it's worse, it's sickening because, and as I say, I'm not condoning uh, that culture of the 70s and 80s with football violence, but, you know, if I can be allowed to play devil's advocate, Daniel, and oversimplify it, you know, you'd have a punch up and, and, and it'd be over until the well, next game but with this vitriolic social media it's, it's it's not is it it's relentless well i get the um i get the feeling sometimes a lot of the um a lot of the people attacking on social media are um are probably doing it in the in their mums and dads bedrooms you know with you know i think they're often quite um as I say, you know, there's people who, who are not putting them, who don't put the names to, you know, my name is out there, who I work for, there's a picture of me. Mm. If if the people who attack you, it's very, very, very rare that, that their names, their businesses, their picture, you know, is used. It's 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 often just like a car, you know, some sort of cartoon name or something. So, so which in a strange way probably makes it a little bit easier to tolerate because you just think, well, it's almost like not a real person, basically. Um, I tell you, just when you're talking about, that, I just didn't, probably when it did get to me, it probably was it when it was the Forest fans because I'm thinking, Christ, I'm like, you know, I've been watching Forest home and away. And don't get me wrong, it was only like a, a small fraction of the, but, but to me, that was like being attacked by your own people, by your own, if you know what I mean. So yeah, yeah. They, they were, they were, you know, there's people, there were people, you know, some of them probably like, who'd been watching, you know, I've been watching Forest longer than they've been born, Some, you know, some of them. So I'm just kind of thinking, you know, I've, I've watched that, I've, you know, I can remember when Frank Clark's team was in Europe, I was like, to get to watch Forest in Europe, I can remember me and my housemate Paul were basically there was one tea time where I didn't have any food because I couldn't afford any food, and Paul was Paul was having like a tomato tomato ketchup sandwich because we were so skint from trying to save our money to go watch Forest that we didn't actually didn't have any money for for food basically. So so you know so I've you know I've I've lost relationships because because of Forest. I've been smacked in the face because of Forest. I've I've you know, got overdrafts. I've I've spent far too much time in my life worrying about Forest and devoting, myself. and then so to be kind of like um, attacked by by strangers basically on the internet for being like you know for, for allegedly being anti-Forest and for 
and for things that you aren't was a bit was was a bit weird basically and um you know but it's, it's a different you know i just can't I, i'm experienced enough now to realize it's not it's not real like nobody not what pe- people when they meet me at football grounds even you know they're all they're always like very nice and they want to hear like if i've got any inside gossip on their teams or <laughs> and people are genu- people are genuinely quite interested in the football media and how it works and stuff yeah then i look at twitter and basically people seem to hate us but yeah. it's in real life nobody nobody if i go to forest it's just you know just seeing dozens hundreds of people that i've you know mates basically well nobody's ever come up to me in a pub and said oh i was really really unhappy with that piece you wrote about you know about billy davis or fawaz um because <laughs> well certainly i don't think i've been proven wrong on those stories either really mm. um you know just um equally the thing is as well first club i covered was leicester um i read my first press agency was based in derby so i covered loads of derby but I was covering Leicester on a day-to-day basis. So Leicester, Derby, um, I was at Chesterfield when Chesterfield not... All that tribal stuff gets a little bit knocked out of you when you've got your work head on. Like, I don't... When Leicester won the league, I wasn't, like, writing bad things because Forrest and Leicester have got a rivalry or... I don't I don't jump on top of Derby when, when they're... You know, you just... You've got to... I'm a professional, hopefully... <laughs> um, football journalist so I'm not going to um, use don't get me wrong like in, in my real life there's no other team I'd love to see us beat than Derby these days but I, I certainly don't bring that into into a work life capacity you know if any if anything probably the other way because because Forrest is part of me I feel like I'm entitled to criticise Forrest criticise Forrest far more than I've criticised many other teams um, because I feel like I'm entitled to if you know what I mean because they're my team so yeah yeah, I get that. Come, it comes from the heart. I absolutely get yeah. that, 100%. And, and obviously, I'm not in your professional capacity as, as a journalist, but absolutely understand that. Daniel, I've got a million one more questions I'd love to ask, but I'm very obviously very mindful of your time. I mean, are you okay for another five minutes or so? Yeah, yeah. No, I'm okay. Yeah, no, keep going, Paul. Oh, bro, good. Okay. The Beautiful Game. And we've kind of flirted with this a little bit, Daniel. Is it still the beautiful game? Taking everything into account, what we've spoke about, the highs, the lows, the emotional attachment, you know, the whole shooting match. Is it still the beautiful game? Well, this is the bit, you see, where my mates hate me because um, I've got mates who like, every year they will go to a... They'll, they'll, they'll have a weekend every year and they go to like a different ground and... You know they've been to Barcelona and Real Madrid, and I, I recommended they they went to Seville because Seville it's a great city and a great two great football grounds. Um, and I can see the excitement in them going. <laughs> now, this is so that, so I hate to sound blasé about it, but from my own personal experience, it's it became work years ago. So basically, I and this is the bit where people are going to roll their eyes and kind of go, "God, you jammy, spoilt." You know, um, so many. You know, various, various of unflattering descriptions. You know, I've I've been to all these grounds that I wanted to see, and used. You know, I, I I can't think the last time I've kind of genuine, genuinely felt the excitement that that I would have felt from the age of sort of like being being you know at school on onwards to kind of like mid twenties because 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 in, in the end it becomes a bit of a hamster wheel for you know I've I've been to like five hundred grounds I've been you know. I go, to, you know, I'm aware I'm doing this already. It's just, it just becomes a, a churn of, you know, plain hotel ground, you know, loads of waiting about, being utterly knackered, um, erratic working hours, you know, a night game. I get in from a night game at three in the morning, you know, just, it's, it, you know, it can absolutely, it can, the whole week can be um, catapulted by, by your travel arrangements. So, so I know this sounds very a very selfish response to that because I'm sure there's lots of other people who, who who still see football through that very you know but, but it's not their jobs if you know what I mean so I, I kind of I don't particularly see it as the beautiful game anymore and also working with the you know you become cynical so, you, mm-hmm. so for example now with the the lockdown you know I see all the self interest of the clubs that that basically want to get it started or want to or want the season null and voided. 
and, and it's all comes back to their own self-interest basically so you become you do become a bit cynical i've had to go to to war with the fa about stories and um you know things like i mentioned earlier about about the fact that you know it's not just crew's fans who don't like me crew the football club um see me as some sort of enemy and you think well when i'm actually helping to get someone sent to prison you just you know uh, yeah so i see you end i think it's just a hazard of the occupation that eventually you end up seeing the sport through slightly hardened eyes basically so i'm saying i'm asking the question basically as a as a football journalist of 20 25 years rather than as a football fan who goes every saturday and, and it's the highlight of their week you know i'm, I'm doing football 24 7 basically so i love it but as Gareth Southgate said, just to return to that quote, there's parts of it that I hate as well, you know. So I don't think Gareth Southgate particularly thinks of it as the beautiful game, but equally I'm sure he's completely addicted and loves the sport. But um, I think the last time I was I was excited, genuinely really excited, was when I got the ticket in my hand for the World Cup final in Brazil for the at the Maracana. And I was like, if I didn't get excited for that, then I might as well just walk away from what I'm doing basically but then I you know the FA Cup final last year for me was quite a depressing experience basically because I went to it and just as we were talking about earlier the um the sort of you know the FA Cup used to mean everything to me it was just like every you know just was so important and and if we got knocked out of the FA Cup I was like devastated and when we got to the semi-finals you just you know just such an such a massive occasion so I went to the FA Cup final last year and I just I didn't look forward to it. I've got to be honest, I didn't enjoy the game. I didn't enjoy writing about it. And I didn't enjoy the travel and the hassle of getting there and getting back. And I hate hearing myself say that, but, you know, it's just, I don't I think it's just maybe just the years and years of doing that. To be fair, I, having gone to the Athletic, I feel certainly more invigorated. Maybe I've been in the Guardian a little bit too long. I was there for, I was there for 19 years. So, so to be fair, since I've come to the Athletic and, and it, I found it a much more enjoyable working environment, I have to say. So mm-hmm. so uh, I also don't go to as many games now. I, I, um, so to be fair, I've actually, a lot of the, some of the excitement's certainly been rekindled, but but I certainly don't don't see football as I, as I once did, just nowhere near. Mm. Just listening to you speak there around the, uh, you know, the disappointment and the whole, my mind went back to 1974 and my attachment to Nottingham Forest and, you know, the magical FA Cup on that infamous cup run with Newcastle United. They got to the quarterfinals. Uh, there was that infamous pitch invasion, replay, second replay at Goodison. Malcolm McDonald scored. Um, Forest were out. I think Newcastle went on to the final to play Liverpool where, in my humble opinion, justice was served because Liverpool won 3-0. But that led to a suicide attempt with me, Daniel. So, you know, I understand the power and the passion, uh, and I know we've spoken a little bit uh, around this off here, of, you know, the great, the legendary Bill Shankly's quote, maybe tongue-in-cheek, who knows, of football's not about life and death, it's far more important than that. For me in 74, Daniel, as a kid of 13 and a half, it was. But uh, times move on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we had a chat about this the other day, didn't we? Um, and I was saying I, I did, um, I was the ghostwriter for Kevin Keegan's autobiography. Um, and and um, Keegan talks about Shankly in a similar way to how I talk about Clough, you know, just completely mm. reveres him. Um and um, and because also I, I don't I'd only ever wanted that you know, Cluffy was my hero and still is my hero, but and I don't and and usually you only kind of really need one hero I suppose, mm-hmm. so I I never was really kind of like that interested in, in Shankly or any of the other sort of people from other clubs that that, are, that you know that are remembered, you know the Matt Busby and people like that. I was just you know I was purely all about Brian Clough basically, but I have to say doing Keegan's book with him, which was a great experience, um, was um, very interesting because, you know, I've, I've, I've found out a lot more about Liverpool, Liverpool's, um, Liverpool in the 70s, before I sort of, the era before I got to know about them really, and about Shankly and about Bob Paisley and some of the coaches in the dressing room. And also I found out a lot more about Newcastle, what Newcastle, the football club is really like. So, so yeah, I can see why, Keegan really kind of like worshipped Shankly and he was a you know he was a great great talker and I think that was just one of many 
quotes. I don't, I don't think he probably meant it as such, but he just had a great knack for bringing, you know, great one-liners, um, which is ironic because Bob Paisley was the exact opposite, basically, and just couldn't, you know, was not a confident public speaker whatsoever. Mm. Yeah, it's. I mean, like yourself, I, uh, you know, very much from the Clough um, dynasty, uh, but still had that massive. I don't know. There's something about Shankly. I watch him on old YouTube videos and whatever. Yeah, I can. I can just listen to the man. Um, his simplicity, his earthiness, his humility, his straightforward. You know, is what I term old school. I think that's a very, very beautiful, powerful trait in a human being, personally. So. Daniel, you know, with everything that you've seen, and obviously we've touched on the more kind of uh, challenging side, you know, the Twitter RT, uh, the Twitter the Twitter cows, as I call them, and I shouldn't generalise and, and, and tar everybody with the same brush, but, you know, the, the keyboard warriors that uh, make these uh, threats, the kind of stuff that you've been talking about. But this whole kind of more unsavoury side of life, you've certainly experienced that. You alluded to, you know, your proudest moment with the, you know, the, the births of your children. Absolutely understand that. So I think it's fair to say, listening to you and listening to your journey so far, you know, you've seen all sides of the spectrum. So you've got a balanced view on life. Taking that into account, Daniel, what's your hope? What's your vision for the future? Because I feel that hope, certainly from my own perspective, maybe I'm being a bit too subjective about this, but hope is a word that's come into my consciousness massively. Before, it was a simple four-letter word that it was it was like a word like nice. It was it was there, it sat on the shelf, and it was never going to upset anybody. It was one of those nice timid, pleasant Sunday afternoon words. But I think in recent events, uh, that's that's global, with the global pandemic, certainly for me, the word hope now has become monumental. So I kind of lay that at your door in the nicest possible way, Daniel, and say, you know, what is your hope? What is your vision for the future based on your, your whole life, be that personal and professional and or both? Um, well, it's a, it's a big question. That. I... I um... I suppose um, I'm quite wedded to the job, I suppose. So it's quite a consuming job. So basically I always want to um, to do a good job. And um, it, it, it's, you know, so I hope I'm kind of like eventually remembered as a, as a you know, as doing the job well, essentially. But I suppose on a wider basis, um, you know, just when you mentioned about the sort of what's going on at the moment now and everything, you know, I... I vision for the future i'm not sure if it's my, my own personal vision but I, I can see everything i can certainly see things changing you know i can um i mean this this might sound really weird but it's just a little small thing but every day for the last sort of few weeks i can i keep getting like wake, waking up about half four in the morning because the birds are so noisy outside and stuff and it's just like the sort of sort of thing that would never you know there's the the um you know, like I've, I'm not sure if you've seen these sort of pictures of uh, of Venice and things like that about how fish you can now see the fish in the mm -hmm. in the water of Venice mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And you just think, you know, in a strange way, there actually could be some sort of good that comes out of all this. You know, just like the, um, you know, do people really need to drive to work when when you know I've I've worked from home, I've worked from home for for years and years, and basically it, it is a bit of a culture shift, but there's people. I think people are, you know, I spoke to neighbours of mine who have wised up really that they don't need to go into offices and, you know, I just, um, I've gone off into a bit of a tangent here, haven't I, Paul? But I just, I just think it, it, this whole time might change mm. the the way people are a little bit, you know, not sure if people are going to be shaking hands again in, in, in years to come. It's all, there's all sorts of ways it's going to, it's going to change, you know, um, but my own vision, I suppose, is, might sound a little bit cliched, but, I, you know, just I've got two kids, um so basically i'm just probably like most most parents really just want obviously want them to be happy and just want them to do well and um i brainwashed james already into being a forest fan when he lives in manchester so <laughs> so i don't want i, I can't really uh, i don't want to pu push him too hard into what he does but hopefully um you know just just a very easy answer there really paul but just obviously want want them to be happy and successful and healthy I suppose, yeah, healthy. You know, when I used to go and I used to go and do a lot of Alex Ferguson press conferences, and he used to always talk about the most important thing in life is your health. And he used to always make that point, and he made it so many times. 
I kind of it, eventually I used to think, why does he keep saying that? You know, and you know, th- these are the moments I suppose when you you know when you think like that. You know, my dad's my dad's next door neighbour died last week of this. You know, and um, you know we probably all know people who've been affected by it. Um, yeah. You know, so it's um, it, yeah, it's been a you know I mean when I was I was saying to James my son the other day you know when I was one of my big memories is the 25th jubilee anniversary for the, for the queen and everything like that you know and street parties and stuff you know when he's older he you know him and his generation are always going to remember this <laughs> this year and you know what were you doing on the lockdown and the rainbows in the windows and all that sort of stuff yeah. I don't think, I don't think he's enjoying it put it that way but I think he's missing his mates but um Hopefully we can start getting back to a bit of normality soon. But that simplicity of that answer there, Daniel, I mean, that's, you know, that's that's something that I personally hope will prevail. Because when we look at, you know, when we look at the game of life, when we look at the game of football, to me, what I've learned after nearly six decades on this planet is they're both very, very, very simple games. Both of them. We as human beings, in our infinite wisdom, we complicate them. So what I love there about that simplicity of that answer is its power. You know, a game of football, you've got somebody in front of you that's closer to your goal. Pass to him or her. It's not rocket science. But no, we have to do all these fancy drills and we have to do this and we have to do that. And I think that's become a great metaphor for life, Daniel, that we're so confused around who we are, our whole identity, um, we just we just don't know who we are anymore. So I'm a massive, massive advocate of simplicity, whether it's in football, in life, or whatever it is. So I want to start the referee, the metaphoric referee um, Daniel is starting to feel in his pocket for his whistle. Uh, he keeps looking at his watch and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I want to ask you one big question to finish off with. But before I go on to that uh, final question, to before the ref does uh, blow the final whistle. Um, how can people reach out to you, Dan? You'll make contact with you, follow you. Obviously, we've mentioned consistently the athletic. I mean, how do, how do people get in touch with you? Um, well, I suppose, uh, well, I'm on Twitter. It's easy to find me on Twitter. Or um, without sounding like a salesman here, you know, ideally subscribe to the athletic i don't think um if 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 you've got any listeners who who um love football like like we do then then i don't think they'd um i think they'd very much enjoy it we've got some you know brilliant writers we've we've got the biggest by far the biggest team of football writers going um and we're we're, we're you know we're, we're not bound by um by the lengths that you get in newspapers we, we we've um we don't have the advertising and all that sort of stuff that's said too early so so hopefully people will actually uh, enjoy you know i have to you know you might think i would say this but but it's just the truth you know we are we are getting very very favorable comments from people who've who've subscribed and are very much enjoying what they see you know we, we're we're covering stuff in a in a way that you wouldn't find anywhere else mm. so are you happy to share uh, an email or a contact or well you know what is the exact contact details for the uh for the podcast episode show notes then daniel well my my emails uh detailer at the athletic.com um the the athletic i mean you can find you can just obviously just find that just just through simple google basically and you just need to download the app onto your um onto your phone or you can look at it through your laptop as a website in fact i actually think there's there is actually a, a, a free 90 day trial at the moment so so what? So maybe. Um, so actually, so there's no fee for it anyway for, for the next three months. Mm-hmm. So if um, so, people can just have a look for nothing at the moment as well. So come and have a look. Basically, <laughs> super great plug for the athletic. By the way, listeners, great plug for the athletic. Yep. Um, Indeed. <laughs> right. Okay. So the ref, the ref's giving me uh, looks, Daniel, to say how much more extra time are you wanting? Um, so I come to the final big question then, Daniel, yeah. just to sign off. What would be your best piece of advice to leave to the world, whether, you know, in terms of mastering the game of life? And, and you know by now, obviously, through this, this, uh, this journey that we've been through over the last sort of 40, 45, 50 minutes, whatever it's been, Daniel, you know, is that football? Is that life? I don't know. Let's not discriminate. But what would be, you know, whether you're talking to your two young kids or one of your mates at the bar or the outside world, what is the one piece of advice more than anything 
that you would want to leave to this world based on everything you've experienced thus far? Oh, God, Paul, you've got me there, mate. Um, to be honest, I was quite, I suppose, um, I probably in about an hour's time, I'm going to think of something super <laughs> back. But, but I did, I was, I suppose, you know, when he, when he mentioned about like the kids, you know, kids and stuff, I suppose, um, I suppose just being kind, I suppose, is not always a good piece of advice. There was, you know, that was kind of like, it feels like it feels ages ago now, wasn't it? But that, if you can remember, there was a, a kind of a movement on, on the internet before everything kicked off with with the coronavirus and everything about trying to be kind, basically, in terms mm. of, because because people quite often aren't kind um, and maybe don't realise the, the repercussions of that. Um, so, you know, we've, we've obviously seen some... You know, well, it all started because of a, because of someone um, committing suicide, essentially. So, so that was a very worthwhile movement, I thought. Um, oh, Paul, you've got me here, mate. I'm going to have to ring you back, <laughs> aren't I, in about an hour with, with a with a with a with a, a brainwave. But, but I think I think that's a decent place to start, basically, because yeah. essentially people, you know, I mean, when I say people, include myself in this sometimes as well. You know, quite quite quick to be impatient with people and uh, get irritated when I'm driving and just things like that, that you just sometimes think, what, what was the point of that? You know, so, um, so it's, it's, it's difficult, isn't it? You know, life, life, you know, my job is stressful. And then, my, and then I think about me saying that and I think bloody hell, I'm writing about football. It's like the sort of thing I want to, you know, I find it stressful because I'm kind of want to do a good job. But then I think, you know, I'm not saving people's lives. I'm not, I'm not working for the emergency services or the NHS or, you know, that's a proper stressful job. Mm. But then people bring the stresses on themselves, don't they, in terms of, you know, you know, everyone has their own stresses and their own work problems and their own life issues and stuff. So it's a, it's a tricky one, that. Yeah. I think uh, listening to that, um, just to, to uh, start to sign off, Daniel, you mentioned Paul Art earlier on. Um, I yeah. had the privilege of serving in the academy at Forest from 19, 1999 onwards under Paul Hart's uh, general guidance and uh, obviously uh, the guy that um, the late, great Jim King uh, were both immense mentors to me. And three simple words, really, Daniel, which I think captures, if I was hearing you correctly, what you was talking about, and it's investing in youth. You know, look after that yeah. ball today and it'll look after you tomorrow. And that's the best way to win the league, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Paul Hart was a, Paul Hart was a great guy at Forest and probably doesn't get enough uh, enough credit for what he did. And, you know, his attitude, the, the players that were with him 20 years ago still very grateful to him now and I know they keep in touch with him basically he um he's, he's one of the good guys I think well, a tough guy but as you as you will know but you know he didn't he um there was a side to him where people knew um not to mess with him you know he had that kind of discipline and edge to him I suppose but he um but you know one of, also one of the good guys who would look out for you yeah, I was I was fortunate enough, Daniel. I've had the first uh, one of the first books I did uh, what two two three years ago. Um, well, one of the first speaking from a heart books. Uh, Paul was in there, uh, put a short story in there, as did Frank Clark, and that for me, as a boyhood read, a boyhood Forest fan, was like this is special. This is really special because you know these. He was one of many guys to wear the red shirt that I idolised. Um, you know, by the time Harty come along, you know, I was not I was not a kid anymore, but I'd still got that. Wow, you know, we're back to that love, that emotional attachment of the football club again, Daniel. That indefinable, aren't we? Um, and I've done a couple of podcast episodes with Paul as well, and uh, yeah, um, as you say. So, okay. Daniel, we could go on forever and I'd be more than happy to, but I'm also very mindful of, um, you know, other things, other distractions, other responsibilities. But listen, Daniel, I'd love to have you back on again and we could go, you know, we yeah. could go down another thread around, you know, whatever. This, I mean, it's endless. I want to thank you immensely for giving the, the time and sharing your invaluable insights. For me personally, it's been an absolute joy. I know that our listeners will also benefit and enjoy it immensely. I can say that hand on art. So thank you very much, Daniel. Thank you very much indeed. No problem, Paul. Nice to speak to you. Cheers, mate. 
So there we have it, listeners. All that remains at this point is for me to sign off the way I always do by saying, remember, mastering the game of life starts by embracing our hearts. Thanks very much for listening to this Mastering the Game of Life podcast episode. If you found it interesting and helpful, drop a line to Paul via paul at paul-low.com with any thoughts or questions you may have. He'd love to hear from you and he'd be more than happy to respond. Alternatively, check out Paul's website at www.paul-low.com. Remember, mastering the game of life starts by embracing our hearts. 